this series that we've called I Love My Church, and, and I hope that this isn't just a series title. I hope it's something that you uh, feel inside you. I do love my church. I love uh, what we're trying to do and the opportunities that we uh, try to provide for uh, growth in different people. And, and so we've been talking about this grand vision we had where uh, we want to see lives transformed for Christ. And, and, and we've talk, been talking about how we've been doing that, how we've tried to do that. We, we try to connect. Uh, we try to get people to serve, and we try uh, to get people to go. And so we're going to be talking about this last idea today, this going and impacting your world. Uh, and uh, I wanted for a moment just kind of make sure that we understand that this process really is fluid, I think. Uh, it always starts with connect. You know, you need to connect to Christ, and uh, you need to be connected to him to start this transformation process. But uh, when you're moving along, it's not necessarily a straight path. Sometimes uh, you have to go back, right? Sometimes uh, you have to reconnect to Christ. You have to uh, stop and, and see uh, the importance of not sinning in your life. And you have to stop and, and remember why you uh, uh, chose to be a, part, a Christian in the first place. And so sometimes you have to come back to that. Sometimes uh, you have to reconnect with the body of Christ. You know, maybe you've gone that far and you've matured, uh, and, but you've stopped coming to church on a regular basis or you've um, stopped being a part of a small group. And so uh, you haven't had the connection with the body that maybe you ought to have. And so sometimes uh, in your Christian walk, you will have to come back to this connect point. Sometimes uh, in your Christian walk, you have to remember that you have to serve again, right? Uh, sometimes we feel... Uh, that maybe we've done our time in service, and, and that's not a, a right feeling because in the Bible it does say that we are meant to serve, to do things for God. And, and so sometimes we have to remember, oh, yeah, I am supposed to be serving, and how can I serve, and finding new avenues for that. Uh, sometimes we have to uh, come back to our attitude with service. We talked a little bit about that last week. We want to be uh, serving in humbleness, you know, not looking after our own needs but other people's needs. And so sometimes, you know, when we are serving uh, we get to the point where it's more of an obligation than because uh, it's bringing joy in our lives or because we're humble about it. And so sometimes we have to re come to this service idea. And so this whole process that we've been talking about over the last three weeks, it's very fluid. You, you might be here uh, and you might be over here and you might have to come back and, and all this thing. So I just hope that you understand that. Uh, with that. So uh, today we want to talk about this idea of going and, and the passage that I think uh, that we're going to be looking at today is is a passage that a lot of this stems from this idea of, of seeking the lost, the idea of being good disciples. Uh, it comes from this passage. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, it's the very last chapter of Matthew. And it's the very last verses of Matthew as well. Uh, Matthew 28, we're going to be starting in uh, verse 16. And as you're uh, uh, turning there, we want to give you some contextual background into this passage. Uh, we are talking uh, in the book of Matthew. It, it's a gospel that uh, has been talking about Jesus and his right to be king. And, and throughout the entire book of Matthew, if you were to read it from front to end, you would have this kind of in your background. He's kind of making a case for why Jesus is king. And so we get to this last chapter. Uh, it's the only chapter that Matthew records uh, post-resurrection, okay? So Jesus comes uh, 
uh, uh, rises from the dead at the very beginning of chapter 28. Uh, and then this is like the only scene that we see with Jesus and the disciples uh, in the book of Matthew. And so uh, it serves as a, a, a climax. All right? It serves as a, hey, Jesus is king moment. Uh, and, and here is what he is wanting you to do. It's a passing of the torch, uh, if you will. Uh, there is a question of when does this actually take place? And the good, best answer I can give you is no one knows. You know, and, and when Jesus, we're told uh, elsewhere that he uh, appears to his disciples for a 40 day period uh, from his resurrection until his ascension. Uh, and this uh, way he's going to have this conversation with his disciples. It could be really early in the 40 day period or it could be very close to the end of the 40 day period. We just have no idea. Uh, and so this is what uh, Matthew says. He says in this in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus uh, ha- had had told them to go. Uh, it's my is in the middle of a page. That's kind of annoying when you're trying to read. So I had told them to go. OK, so uh, here we're told that there's 11 disciples. Why is there only 11 right now? Anybody? What has happened to Judas? Oh, yeah, he went and killed himself. Okay, so uh, we're down to 11. Matthew wants you to remember that. All right, and there's two important things that are happening here, uh, and, and it's really dealing with where this is taking place. And, and for Matthew, uh, if you, again, if you were to read Matthew from front to end, you would see that these are common themes that he uses that are important. So the first thing is uh, that the place that they are going is Galilee. All right, Galilee was in the northern section uh, of, of this Judea set area. All right, but in the Old Testament, uh, Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles, all right, of the nations. All right, and so uh, for, and Matthew uses that reference a, a couple of times. All right, and so it, it, it serves as a place where it's, Matthew's trying to tell us something here. He's saying, hey, the message, the proclamation of going out and telling the world, it starts not in Judea, not in, with the Jewish people, but it starts in a place that is commonly referred to as the nations, okay, Galilee of the Gentiles. All right, and so uh, he uses this as a, uh, a means to communicate the importance that the gospel is not just for Jewish people, but it's for all people everywhere. And we'll see that here in a little bit with Jesus' words. Uh, the second thing that uh, Matthew tells us is that the place that they're meeting him is on a mountaintop. And again, if you were to read Matthew from front to end, you would see that mountains are significant places in the life of Jesus. In fact, most of what Jesus does that are spectacular and amazing in the book of Matthew happens on the top of mountains. Let me give you some examples. Jesus is tempted after being baptized, and he goes off in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's tempted by the devil. And the very last temptation in the book of Matthew takes place on a mountaintop. Jesus will go on to a mountaintop when he decides that he's going to choose his 12 disciples, and he prays, and he chooses on top of a mountain. Uh, we, we have the most famous of Jesus' sermons on kingdom ethics uh, that takes place on a mountain. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. All right, we see uh, that Jesus is on top of a mountain when he is transfigured in the book of Matthew. All right, when his appearance changes and they see his glory for what it is. Uh, Jesus uh, will feed 5,000 people on a seashore, and then right after that, he'll go on top of a mountain. 
and he'll pray and he'll be by himself. And then he comes off that mountain. You know what he does after that? He walks on water. All right. So this mountaintop is between two great, two of the most famous uh, miracles that Jesus does. Uh, Jesus will be on the mountain when he feeds 4,000 people. And so you can kind of see just from those few examples that mountains in the book of Matthew signify important events in the life of Jesus. So if they are going to a mountain and they're going to Galilee, we know that this event, this what Jesus is going to say, this conversation he's going to have his dis- with his disciples, it is very Important And it's so important that Matthew says it took place on a mountain. All right. So that's kind of the importance. This is this is going to serve as uh, the climax of this book. He's saying Jesus is king. And here is the climax. And he kind of ends it kind of dead in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of the conversation. And we'll see that here in a second. Verse 17, Jesus said or we see that uh, when the when they the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped him. But some doubted. All right, and so we get into this uh, this kind of strange interlude verse where they see Jesus and they're, they were told that they start to do two things. They worship him and there's some of them that doubted. And the question is, why were they doubting? All right, and the answer to that is, we don't know. I mean, Matthew just doesn't give us enough information. The word doubt could also be uh, translated hesitant. And so maybe they're hesitant towards uh, worshiping Jesus, you know, these are good Jews. They had been taught all their lives that that God is the only one that they should be worshiping. And so maybe uh, as they are worshiping Jesus, they have in the back of their mind uh, just a feeling that maybe this isn't right. Maybe that is what the doubt here that that's translated here. Uh, maybe maybe it's hesitant towards, you know, they kind of see Jesus from afar. Maybe they're worshiping, and maybe some of them are like, well, is that really Jesus? Maybe that's what the doubt is. All right, we, like I said, we just don't have enough information. What we do have is this, is that there's doubt. All right, these, these people, they're human. They, 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 even though they had followed Jesus for three and a half years, they were not perfect. All right, and so within their lives, even as they are worshiping Jesus, there is uh, some hesitancy towards something. All right, and so uh, Jesus will will clear that up because we're left with the understanding that Jesus's words here dispels any doubt or hesitancy that they might have. Here's what uh, happens. Jesus comes to them in verse 18 and he says to them this. He says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. All right. So we get this. first thing that that Jesus wants them to understand is is if their doubt is the worship of Jesus Jesus is making sure that they understand it's okay to worship me because all authority has been given to me this word authority is is very interesting it it means having power and then it doesn't necessarily mean power it's kind of a weird word to translate and the best way uh, that I can do to explain it is through an illustration that's the illustration of a, a coach for a team uh, the coach uh, in most cases, has all authority over the team. They get to decide uh, who plays where. They get to decide what the plays are going to be. They get to decide when those plays will take place. All right? And so they have all authority over the players that is, are under their charge. 
Now, Jesus has that same authority. Those who are his followers, those who are his disciples, he gets to decide where they go, when they go do it, and how they're going to do it. And he has the authority to command them to do what, what he wants them to do. But just like players can choose not to follow the coach's instructions, Christians, we can choose to do that, but it's not a good idea because he has all authority. All right, and so we got this idea that he is, is in charge. He is uh, doing something. And he's going to answer a question that's not really asked by the disciples, but maybe it's part of the reason why they are doubting. He's going to ask the question of, answer the question of, what now? All right, this, this might be one of the reasons why they are hesitant. What now? All right, Jesus, we've been with you for three and a half years. We've seen you do miracles. We've seen you do uh, all these amazing things, and you've taught all kinds of people. What do we do now? All right, we just watched you get arrested. We just watched you be put on trial. We just watched you get crucified. Are those people that did those things going to believe you now if they see you now? What now? And so Jesus answers that what now by saying this in verses 19 to 20. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. All right, so Jesus' answer to the what now is, is go and make disciples. Right, he, he will use four different verbs here. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. And they all center around one of those verbs. The verb that is sent around is make disciples. All right, the command that Jesus is giving, the torch that he is passing, it's the thing that he was all about. He was about the seeking and the saving of the lost. And he wants us as Christians, as disciples, as followers of him to go and make disciples. This command, it's not a command just for these 11 that are here. It's a command for all disciples everywhere. We are to be disciples who make disciples. And if we examine our lives for a moment, that, that's the question I have. When is the last time we have made a disciple of someone else? I mean, this is the final command, the one thing that we are to do that's going to take until he comes back to complete. Right? There's always going to be someone out there who doesn't believe. I mean, 6,000 in Mexico. I mean, that's, that's a staggering number. There are 6,000 people in Mexico that we could be making disciples of. I mean, our task is not done. No matter who we are, no matter where we're at in life, we have the task of making disciples. So what is a disciple? Well, it's a good question. Disciples was a very uh, first century idea. Uh, it was an idea that someone would come and 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 say, will you follow me? And they would follow them and they would watch how they do things and watch how they would teach. And for Jesus, he did this. He did this with the 12 disciples. Uh, he did this uh, with a larger group of 70. Uh, and they were just people that followed along the way. And, and so a disciple at the very base of the definition is someone who follows a way of teaching or a way of living. And as Christians, this is our task. This is our task to make disciples to make people that are following Jesus just as much as we are and so the question is is how do we do that and I think that's what the other three verbs are there for 
All right, they are there to tell us how we do this. The first thing that we are to do is to go. All right, go. As you're going, make disciples. All right, we can't make disciples sitting in our church. All right, we can't make disciples sitting in our pews. Uh, hopefully everybody in this room is a disciple. And so we must go out from here. Right? And so uh, there's a roadmap found in, in Acts chapter 1 uh, that kind of tells us how to do this. In Acts chapter 1, the 11 disciples are walking with Jesus back to the town of Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus and them are talking, and, and, and they turn to Jesus and they say, Hey, is this when you're going to establish your kingdom? And to respond to that, Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1. He says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So what Jesus says is, don't worry about that stuff. Right? Don't worry about when the kingdom's going to come. That's not your job to do. Right? He, he, too often, I think, as Christians, we start to worry about things that aren't our job to worry about. Right? Uh, we do this so many times. Uh, we, we focus on, on, we'll just even say the president race, okay? Yes, it's something that is bothersome and worrisome for a lot of us, but it's probably not something that we should be focusing our time on. What we should be focusing our time on is the task that Jesus has given us. And the task is what again? To do what? Yeah, to make disciples, as some of you said. All right, that's the thing that we should be worrying about. And Jesus says, don't worry about governments. Don't worry about when God is going to come back. What you should worry about is doing the thing that you're supposed to do. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you are to do this in, in the second part of verse 8. He says, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the world, to the ends of the earth in this translation. All right, and so he says, the one task that you should be worrying about is waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and then be my witnesses. And, and this is the go. You are to be my witness, to make disciples. And you're to do this, and he tells us, in three different ways. And if you read the book of Acts, this kind of sets a framework for how Acts does. The disciples, they start in Jerusalem. They start in their community, their hometown. And then they spread out to their surrounding region, Judea and Samaria. And then they go to the ends of the earth. And for us, this is, this is how we can go. I mean, we can start in our communities. In Mexico, Missouri. I mean, there's lots of lost people in this town. And we can uh, start to, to be examples in this world. We can start to be lights telling them about Jesus as we live our lives here. So how do we do that? Lots of ideas on how we can do that. You know, we, we could you go shopping to the same place. Say it's Mosier's, right? One way that you can start making disciples and start shining light in this world is maybe find one of the cashiers that, that's always there that maybe doesn't go to church. And maybe you just decide to go into that line all the time, even if it's the longest line, even if there's 20 people in that line. You go to that line because you start to build a conversation and a relationship with her, and you're able to, to show her Jesus through the way that you're living. And you talk to her, and you get to know her, and you care for her, and you love her like Jesus loves her. Maybe that's one way you can do it. Maybe, maybe you do it in your workplaces, where you're going every day for work, and, and the conversations you have, and the example that you live, and the way you treat your boss, and the way you talk about your boss when he's not there. Maybe that is how 
you be lights, showing your coworkers what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's the restaurant you go to. Maybe you go to Jackson Street Diner every single week or every single day, as, as maybe some of you do. And maybe you start to get to know the waitresses and waiters there, and you start to have those conversations with them and start to get to know them as people, not just as someone who's serving you. You know, maybe that is how you do it. Maybe you do it in your, your neighborhood, you know. Maybe you get to know your neighbors. Maybe you have a barbecue and invite them over, and you show them wh- who Jesus is by the way you talk to them and interact with them, and you get to know them, and you get to encourage them and love them like Jesus loves them. No, this is simple ways that we can do it just by the way we're living in Mexico. Then from there, we uh, see that we can go to our surrounding region. Maybe that's Audrain. Maybe that's Missouri. And we continue as a collective group and as individuals to show Jesus to the world that we are in. And we could then have the opportunity maybe to go to the ends of the earth. And maybe we do that as a church by sending missionaries. Or maybe we do that by going ourselves. One of the emphasis that we've been placing on heavily in this last couple of years has been mission work and sending mission trips to different places, to Manzanillo, uh, where the Sanchez's are, to Taiwan, where the Edwards's are. And these are opportunities for us to go into the ends of the world and to make disciples in that way. You know, these are, these are simple things to do, to go into the world, because we must first leave our pews in order to make disciples. And Jesus, he kind of expects it. You know, when you look at that verb in the uh, Greek, it means as you're going. You know, it's an expectation. It's not necessarily a command. Hey, I'm not commanding you to go because I'm expecting you to go. And so there's an expectation for us as Christians to go to move out, to not stay as a holy huddle, as some people would say, but to go out into the world and to seek and to save those who are lost. Make disciples. Jesus tells us two other ways back in Matthew 19 and 20 on how we can do this. Uh, we, we do this by baptizing. You know, there's this connection point, right? We're going back to this idea of connect, serve, and go. And connection starts Sometimes in baptism, it's this this place that something mysteriously awesome happens. It's this place where people proclaim, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's a place where people are, are in Colossians are said to be clothed into Christ. It's a place in Romans where we're told that you're united to his death, burial, and, and resurrection. And Jesus says that when you're making disciples, one of the ways you do this is by baptizing them. All right, so it's, it's one of those things that we uh, encourage within our church. All right, another thing that he says is that you teach them. All right? And this is one of those things that, that is an ongoing process. It's, it's a continuous verb in the, in the Greek. You know, teaching doesn't just stop once you become a Christian. All right? You don't just stop learning everything that you need to know. All right? Many of us, we learn throughout the rest of our lives new things about God. And we are told constantly to, to, to do this teaching and to do this on a regular basis. And so these are, these are tools that we use. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily an order that he gives. He doesn't say you baptize and then teach, because when we look in the New Testament, we see that sometimes teaching preceded baptism, and sometimes, sometimes it was baptized and then taught. You know, sometimes it happens that way. And so it's not necessarily a, a strict order that Jesus is giving here. You don't do this and then this, if that makes sense. Jesus concludes this passage by saying this. 
Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And it's a, commi- it's a promise here uh, that Jesus, who has all authority over heaven and earth, he is going to be with us. And if he has all authority over heaven and earth, he has the ability to protect us no matter what comes our way. So my encouragement to you today is this. As we strive to be a church that is uh, all about transforming lives, as we try to move people from, from connecting to serving to going, we want you to be disciples who are making disciples. You need to examine your life and see if that's something you're doing. When this is a command, the final command, the, the passing of the torch, Jesus, Matthew leaves it at the very end of his book to kind of leave it at, as a now it's up to us moment. You know, Jesus has come. He came as a babe. He came to, to seek and to save the lost. He died for our sins. And now he's saying it's up to you now. What are you going to do with it? And I hope that your answer to that is that you are going to be disciples who are making disciples. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Jesus and the sacrifice he gave. And uh, Father, as we look at our lives and, and the interactions we have uh, with various people, I just pray, Lord, that we uh, can be people looking out, looking for ways to make disciples, to find people who are lost, to find people who are in desperate need of Jesus. And Lord, they're out there and they're in our community. They're our, our neighbors, they're our co workers, they're our people that we just hang out with. And I pray, Father, that we can be people uh, that are active in seeking you and active in telling them about you. Thank you, God, for, for saving us. Thank you for, for dying for us. And I pray that we do not keep that to ourselves, but that we share it with others. I ask this in your name.